So Money episode 421, Jennifer Gefsky. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wealthfront. Wealthfront is the most tax-efficient, low-cost, hassle-free way to invest. Now, many of you I know are interested in simplifying your investment strategy. You want to reduce fees. You want to work with a service that you trust. And Wealthfront delivers. It builds and manages your personalized, globally diversified portfolio. To open an account, the minimum is just $500, and that gets you a periodically rebalanced, diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds. There are zero trading fees, zero hidden fees, and advisory fees that are just a fraction of traditional advisors. In fact, Wealthfront manages your first $10,000 for free. To learn more and sign up, visit wealthfront.com forward slash so money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today's guest is Jennifer Gefsky. She's the co-founder of a new website for women in particular called AppRay, a digital recruiting website that's connecting women looking to re-enter the workforce. Because, you know, that's what happens sometimes when you're a woman who has a child, you opt out of the workforce, even if it's just for a short term, to take care of this child. And now going back to work can be next to impossible sometimes. It's really hard to retransition. Imagine if you've been out of work for five years, 10 years. And this site has been getting a lot of buzz lately. It it launched this month, already got over 10,000 subscribers, and finally getting the chance to talk with its co-founder, Jennifer Gefsky, today. Jennifer used to be a lawyer, and she worked as an associate in New York City. She practiced labor and employment law before becoming deputy general counsel, and later one of the highest ranking women at Major League Baseball. At 30 years old, she was recognized by Cranes New York Business as a 40 under 40. And after almost 10 years at MLB, she retired until she and her business partner, Nicole Kral, came up with the idea for AppRay. And what an idea. One of the first questions I ask her is, what took so long? I mean, we've known for a while now that women have a hard time transitioning back into the workforce after being home for a while. This idea of opting out for even just a year or two can be detrimental to one's career. What gave rise to this website now and why, Jennifer? How do you explain the gap on your resume? And what about those men, right? Men are becoming stay-at-home dads. They are also finding challenges as they re-enter the workforce. What about the guys? Here is Jennifer Gefsky. Jennifer Gefsky, welcome to So Money. I'm a huge fan of your new site, AppRay. So glad that we were able to make this connection. AppRay is helping busy moms transition back into the workforce. Such a needed resource. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's so nice to be on the show. Your site, AppRay, which is at appraygroup.com, intends to help moms who have opted out of the workforce for some time, whether to take care of their children or their aging parents, to now find work, which is very difficult to do. It's a very difficult transition. To me, this site and what it offers to do is a no-brainer. So it begs the question, why has it taken so long for something like this to come to fruition? And why did you want to be the person to bring it to market? 
Well, that's a really great question. So, um, you know, I was, uh, my, my background is a lawyer and I had a, a pretty good career. I started my career at a, a large New York City law firm and then I went on to work at Major League Baseball and I love my job and all of those great things. And, um, and then life happened, right? I had two of my three kids while I was at Major League Baseball and life just got really, really hard. And, uh, you know, the time came after my second was about two years old and I I was commuting about two and a half hours a day and my husband was traveling and I was traveling and, and I thought, I, I just can't do this anymore. And I was fortunate enough that um, I didn't have to work. We could afford for me not to work. And so I made the really difficult decision to, to take a career break. And, um, and when it came time for me to get back into the workforce, I'm looking around, um, you know, at, at different women that I knew who were like me, who were well-educated, who had careers, who took career breaks to care for family members and wanted to get back into the workforce. And everyone was sort of looking at each other, not knowing quite how to go about it. And so I thought, huh, there might be something here. Like, what is out there to help women reenter the workforce? So I started doing some research and um and then I partnered up with um, actually a woman I know through my daughter, um, and we thought there might be something there. And we started doing some research. And as you said, like, why is it? Why is this becoming sort of a hot topic now? And I think that the answer to that is because it's this is sort of a new phenomenon. You know, baby boomers did not do this in mass the way that Gen Xers are doing it. So. If you were a baby boomer, a woman, you went to college or you went to graduate school, um, that was, you were, you know, more in the minority certainly then. And so you either never opted out if you actually ended up in a, in a big career or if you opted out, you stayed out. So it's a new phenomenon um, with women um, opting out of the workforce and really trying to come back in for the duration of, of a career. And, uh, you know, right now we estimate there's millions of women in the United States today that have at least college degrees that are looking to uh, reenter the workforce. And interestingly, it's not just a U.S. phenomenon. It's a worldwide phenomenon. We're getting um, calls from all over the world um, by women and by companies um, about this topic. So I think it's, it's a very interesting phenomenon, like I said, that's happening. You're not just addressing the needs of these mothers who want to come back into the workforce. Happy to say companies are also coming to AppRain saying, we want to be listed. We want to engage with you. We want to hire these women because some of the smarter companies are realizing that hiring women, especially at this stage in their lives, is great for the bottom line. Yes. And um, that's one of the most um, sort of energizing things about our launch. Um, you know, we launched just a couple of weeks ago and I was, to be honest, shocked at the outreach by companies about our demographic. And it was, it was really exciting because, you know, look, companies are all looking for good talent. Um, you know, they're not necessarily doing this because it's a warm and fuzzy feeling. They're doing it because they want good talent. And more important, they're doing it because they understand that women entering the workforce today, you know, the, what I'll say, the millennial workforce, want, and they're not just entering, I mean, the millennial workforce is a huge generation. So, I mean, some, the, the sort of uh, older the end of the millennial, <laughs> yeah, the biggest, but the older end of the millennial workforce is, is beginning to opt out now. But the millennial workforce is telling corporate America, like we, you know, especially women, 
Who, who are our female mentors? Do you believe in women? Do you believe in gender diversity? Do you believe in family values? And they're a big enough generation that they can really force change. And so they're, they're turned off by companies that are not illustrating a commitment to being diverse um, or a commitment to family values or this concept of when you have a family, we're, you know, we're not going to really be there for you. So it's, you know, what we like to tell companies is when you hire from this demographic of these millions of women re-entering the workforce, you're not only getting a great employee, because I could talk all day about what great employees this demographic makes, but you're also sending a message to this millennial workforce about how the company believes in women and gender diversity and family values and how the company will be there for them when they have a family. Because, you know, look, most women want to have families at some point in time. So, And men. I see this being a great resource for stay-at-home fathers. More men are taking time off work to raise their families. And P.S., if you're an employer looking for a highly productive and efficient employee, hire a mom. <laughs> we get a lot done. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like I said, I could talk all day about this demographic, but that's absolutely right. I mean, they're re-energized about returning to the workforce. They're excited about being back in the corporate environment. They're probably not opting out again. They're entering the prime of their career. So there's so many great things to be said about this demographic. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, some of the talk about this demographic is like, oh, will you hire me back? You know, give me an internship. And my feeling is, no, there's such value there. We have such value. It's not, you know, a company is actually quite lucky to have this, you know, this demographic as at least part of their workforce. The site is full of resources. It gives you guidance and allows you to connect with a like-minded community, lets you obviously connect with employers looking to hire women at this stage in their lives. How are you preparing these women, I'm curious, to explain the gap on their resumes? That, I think, can be a huge hurdle. How do you explain the two-year, three-year, in some cases, 10-year gap that you may have? Well, one of the pieces of advice that we give is not to run from the gap. You know, the gap is becoming more and more commonplace. Employers are getting more and more used to seeing a gap. The gaps aren't going away because millennials are dropped out as well. Um, and um, so, you know, we always say don't run from the gap. And I mean, what I advise women who are beginning their journey of opting out is, you know, look, women do amazing things when they're out of the workforce. They're not just sitting at home. They're doing volunteer work. Um, you know, they're on boards, they're on community activities, you know, that all has translatable value to workplaces. You know, just because you're not getting paid for it doesn't mean it doesn't have value. You know, I know women in my community who have raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for different events and they're incredible. I mean, any employer would be lucky to have these women. And so, you know, to understand when you're participating in those activities to make notes of that, to keep a running document of things that you do, um, the skills that you've learned, and, you know, that is transferable to companies and to talk about those things, you know, when you go in for interviews. How much can you expect to earn? If you've got this gap, let's say you get over that hump, they've offered you the job, how do you then negotiate your salary? First of all, I think it's pretty well known that women do not do as good of a job as men do in negotiating salary. So let's start from that 
basis, right? So women as a whole need to do a better job of understanding um, their value and knowing when to ask for more. So uh, with that being said, uh, you know, I, th- I think it depends for any particular woman and every woman's journey is unique. If you've taken a large gap, if you've been out of the workforce for a significant period of time, and by that I mean, you know, seven plus years, you're going to take a pay cut. I mean, so just have that mindset. You know you're going to take a pay cut. You know you're going to come back and probably a role that was slightly decreased from where you left. But the fact of the matter is that most women are okay with that. Um, you know, and it depends if you're transitioning. A lot of the women that we talk to want to transition. They don't want to do what they were doing before. So again, that's going to take a pay cut to, to make that transition. But, you know, we know women who have been out for a year or two years, and that's a much less significant time. And you can certainly command a salary that was close to the salary you had when you left the workforce. So it's really, it's really case by case dependent on, um, you know, the woman's experience and what she's looking to do in the sector she's looking to reenter. And frankly, the market, you know, you just got to know what the market is for the particular second sector that you're looking to reenter. And we're finding, of course, that many women who are reentering the workforce choose to become their own employers because ultimately that's what's going to give them the flexibility and the income potential that they desire. Does APRI have those conversations with its audience? How to prepare for becoming your own boss? Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the one of the stats that are out there that I find most um, fascinating are the fact is the fact that there are more female entrepreneurs out there than male entrepreneurs right now. So there's clearly a desire um, from women to be entrepreneurs. And one of the things we are looking to do on our site is not only talk about what it means to be an entrepreneur, but also to hopefully connect women who are looking for potential entrepreneurial partners um, to, to find one another on our platform because we do have a community aspect to our site. Uh, and so that was one of the, the goals we were hoping to accomplish. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 84 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website with hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates to choose from. The drag-and-drop editor. There's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your website today. The result is stunning. I'd love to transition out to learn more about you, your money mindset. What is your financial philosophy, Jennifer, as you've made this transition from working for the MLB, working as an employer to now being your own boss running APRE? You know, my background is interesting in the sense that, first of all, I grew up in Ohio, and um, which I think is odd for a New Yorker. Now I live in New York, and um, there's not that many Midwesterners in New York. Um, and I grew up actually with without uh, money. Um, and I've been working since I was 11 doing 
a variety of jobs, babysitting, ironing neighbors' shirts, working at McDonald's. I mean, literally, I've valet parked cars. Working I was a at waitress. What did you do there? Yes, I worked at McDonald's. Working at McDonald's. Wow. Yeah, that was my first W-2 job. At that time, I don't know what it is now, but at that time, McDonald's hired people at 14, and I was 14 when I worked at McDonald's. So, um, you know, I, I think if my money mantra is anything, it's um, it's I believe in hard work, and um, I believe that every dollar counts. So, you know, when like I said, when I was young and growing up with – without any money, um, you know, in some ways it's great because I think you don't know all the things that you don't have. Um, but as I grew up, uh, you know, I believe very much in the concept of financial independence, especially for women. I think it's so important to teach our girls to be financially independent and to to be able at whatever point there is in your life to be able to support yourself. Um, I feel very strongly about that. I have one daughter and I am certain I'm teaching her that. Um, and I, and I believe very, very much in the power of, of work, um, and work ethics. So, uh, that's probably my money mantra. I think it has served me extraordinarily well over my life, um, to have worked, uh, at such a young age because when I graduated law school and I went to work at a big New York City firm, my work experience from the time that I was 11 came in handy. And um, and a lot of the people that I worked with, I don't think had that work experience. The ability to deal with people, the ability to deal with problems, um, you know, those all arise in, in regular jobs, whether it's being a cocktail waitress or working at McDonald's. You know, I th- think those are very valuable lessons for kids to learn. Yeah. Being accountable, having to show up, seeing how your responsibilities support a greater operation. What would you say was your most pivotal money experience growing up as a kid? That's, oh, I love that question. Okay. So I would say that my most pivotal, pivotal money memory was buying my own car at age 17. And at the time I saved $2,000. And my mom co-signed a loan for me for the rest. And it was, honestly, to this day, my most valued possession. I love that. It was a little Honda CRX. I remember it to this day. It was black. I love that car so much. And I think I loved it because I earned it myself. And I think that it is something that parents overlook, especially with their kids today. That concept of earning something on their own and then learning how to take care of it, again, is one of those invaluable lessons. And I still, um, you know, that was, I mean, I don't know how many years ago now, but it was a long time ago. And, um, you know, I've gone on to have a really great career and I still look back on that possession and that money moment as one of the most impactful uh, moments in my life. Yes. And it teaches you the fruits of delaying gratification. And I know starting a business is not a fast process. So curious to learn the behind the scenes of launching APRE. How long did it take? It took um, quite a bit of time, just about 10 months from inception um, to to launch. And, you know, of course, you know, you're not being paid. Uh, you're working really hard. I think it's one of the things people sometimes overlook as an entrepreneur. You, If you're becoming an entrepreneur because you don't want to work as much, um, you're doing the wrong thing because entrepreneurs tend to work a lot harder for less money, um, certainly at the beginning. And it was 
um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of hard work to launch something, get it off the ground. I think that's why they call it launch, you know, like launching a rocket ship takes a lot of energy effort and um, time and science. And that's the same sort of concept. It it takes a lot of effort. um, And there is an excuse every day to, um, to quit. Uh, And so one of the lessons I learned early and I, and I attended some lecture where somebody talked about the concept of perseverance and I think it's the most critical um, key to being an entrepreneur. You have to have perseverance, even in the face of extraordinary um, uh, doubt and um, obstacles. You just continue to persevere. And failure. Tell us about a failure that you experienced launching this business or maybe even a failure in your personal financial life, whichever is juiciest. <laughs> Well, it's so, it's interesting when we talk about a financial failure. I think my, my biggest financial success and my biggest financial failure both had to do with real estate. <laughs> so I think it's pretty funny that, um, <laughs> that it shows you probably how fickle the real estate market is. But my, my biggest financial success was, um, buying an apartment in New York City, uh, and selling it just two years later without doing any improvements. Um, just based on the market in New York City increasing so dramatically, um, basically doubled our investment within a couple of years. And um, it was quite significant. And it makes you realize, wow, I mean, markets are really powerful. And if your timing is right, uh, you can, you know, really earn a lot of money uh, in real estate. And however, my, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would call it a failure, but I would say buying at the height of the market, which, um, you know, we bought our current house at the height of the real estate market, um, shortly before the recession. And, you know, it's probably at least two decades until that turns around. So, uh, I think that was, those were both incredible lessons for me because it's almost like, you know, when you go to a casino and you gamble and it's like you win at the blackjack table, you're like, this is easy until you lose. And that's how kind of the real estate market was. Um, you know, it's, it's a very fickle, it's a very fickle market and, uh, you have to be very careful about how you invest in the real estate market. But those are probably my biggest financial success and failures. Um, you know, as far as the, the business is concerned, that remains to be seen. Um, we're self-funded. So there's, um, you know, we have not taken outside investors uh, money yet. Did you consciously want to avoid taking investor dollars? So we went back and forth quite a bit on whether or not we wanted to accept outside money. And, um, and to be honest, since we've launched, we've had quite a few um, inquiries about investing in the company. And, you know, if you want to get a lot of advice, start your own company because people love to give advice about whether or not to take outside money. And there's some line of thinking that says, do not take outside money, wait until the last possible moment, you know, because obviously, you know, your reward is much greater if the company does well, if you don't take outside money. But on the other hand, there's the line of thinking of, well, no, by taking outside money, especially from like a venture capitalist or for an angel investor, um, not only are you getting money, but you're getting support and um, advice from savvy uh, you know, builders of companies. And so um, I wouldn't say that we would never consider outside money. Um, but I think at this stage in the company, we are content with where we are of being self-funded. Um, you know, of course, it, it would be a lot 
busy or someone wrote us a big check and we could just hire. But what I will say is that, and I feel very strongly about this, because we were self-funded from the beginning, we learned to be incredibly, I like to use the word scrappy. We were incredibly scrappy with, you know, in our thinking, um, in the way we went about um building up, you know, the website and all of the hires that we've made, we've been very conscious of the cost. And I'm just not sure if someone had written us a big check at the beginning, if you would learn to be as scrappy, um, if if you had sort of a big bank account just funding the operation. So um, I'm quite glad because I think it's been a really educational experience for us to not have that money in the beginning, because I think it's been very valuable for, for us to learn how to be extremely cost conscious and, um, and, and scrappy. 100% agree. I mean, I think that there are benefits to taking money, but there are also benefits to just being your own scrappy startup. You can weather risk that much better. I applaud you for it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And the ability to be flexible. You know, I think that we've, um, we've positioned ourselves that we will be able to pivot to the extent we need to pivot, you know, these are all terms you hear from entrepreneurs, right? It's like, uh, you know, the term of fail fast, you know, you're going to fail, you want to fail fast and, um, and uh, be able to pivot and, and figure out what works and to continue to move forward. I mean, the idea that you're going to launch a perfect product is, is probably untenable. You know, I mean, yeah. we wanted to get the product out there and see and see what happened. And I, and I think that flexibility of being self-funded has been, again, really constant you know, been beneficial for us. Well, no doubt you'll be turning away offers left and right as you've just launched and you've gotten over 10,000 people subscribing. Do you see this website also attracting men, stay-at-home dads? You know, more men are taking time off to raise their families. On the one hand, it's easier for them to reacclimate, but on the other hand, there's a social stigma with stay-at-home dads that they have to combat. Yeah, so uh, it's it's a really interesting point, and I'm going to be very interested to see it play out over the next you know decade or so because we already have men as members on our site, um, you know, and actually a couple have reached out to me personally just about how excited they are about the platform, and I do think it's a tough road because the fact of the matter is one of the great benefits of hiring from our demographic for companies. Are, is like the gender diversity aspect of it. So, you know, companies, especially in that mid-senior level, um, have gender diversity problems. And so by hiring women from our demographic, we're solving, you know, a significant pain point for a company. And for men, there's not that problem. You know, they the companies aren't having a male diversity um, uh, problem. And, and so I do think it's more difficult for a man who has taken a career break to reenter the workforce in some ways. You know, again, it depends on the sector and it depends on his experience. But um, yeah, I don't think it's an easy road. So um, it'll be interesting to see it play out. But there's no question more men are taking, um, first of all, paternity leaves. And, um, and I think more men in the future will take career breaks to help care for their families. What we're seeing now, studies show that companies who nurture their employees that have families to say, you can go and take time off, come back, we'll still be here, your job will still be here, you'll get the training, you'll get reacclimated. They actually make money from that decision. It helps the bottom line. There's no question. I mean, it is a short-term pain, as you, as you know, you could say for a very much a long-term gain. I mean, it costs a lot of money to 
hire, to train, to, um, to, to basically put that employee on the road to their career. And then, you know, to be inflexible at a time when it's very difficult for the woman to maybe give 100% of her time, effort, and energy to the workforce. Uh, the fact of the matter is close to 90% of women who opt out want to come back to work. So the idea if you could, you know, if companies and companies are beginning to do this, to have more flexibility around that time frame with their employees. You know, for example, you know, if a woman opts out for a company to say to that woman, look, for the next five years, we're going to pay for your continued education. We're going to assign you a mentor within our company. We want you to stay in touch. And if you want to come back within five years, you have a job. So, um, you know, you're beginning to see companies doing programs like that. And I think they pay off in the long run because when that, you know, when that employee comes back, uh, they're excited about coming back to work and that, um, you know, employer ultimately didn't lose that employee, you know, in the long run. Right. Jennifer, what's a f- habit that you practice that helps you with your finances? That's, that's a really excellent question. I would say that there's two habits that I, um, one, I started long, long ago. And the second one I started when I, I had kids. And the first one is uh, putting money away every month for you know, quote, retirement. Um, and I started that again when I graduated law school and, and had my first sort of career position. And it had served me really well to this day. And it gives me great satisfaction to know that I have, you know, that money sitting in my, you know, um, account and it continues to grow every day. That's one habit that I think everyone should attempt to do, even if it's just a small amount every month. Um, the second one is, I mean, I, 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 you know, my oldest is 12 years old. So we still have, you know, five years before she goes off to college. But then I have two kids um, after her as well. And, you know, college is a fortune. I can't believe it. I, you know, I think it's one of the major issues in the country today. And, um, you know, so our 529 plans that are set up for each one of our kids. And again, just like a retirement account to put it away every month, you know, uh, some amount for their college. I mean, I paid for my own college. I went to a state school and I paid for college myself, but I took out student loans for law school and I took out loans. I got the best job you could possibly get in terms of the highest paying job you could get coming out of law school. And, you know, all student loans are a 10 year payoff. I had a hard time paying off my loans. So, and, and by the way, I really only took out two years of loans for law school. Um, I don't know how kids do it today. I mean, if you have to take out loans. So, you know, I think as a parent of kids to start that financial habit is just critical. Yeah. I mean, if you were struggling, what does that mean for everybody else? This is a problem of epic proportions. You've done a lot of stories and interviews around this on the podcast. And if anybody wants an idea for their own podcast, you know, how about something around student loans and the recovery? I don't know what it's going to take, but if, if there isn't a solution soon, it's going to absolutely stagnate the economy, people's lives. It's devastating. To set up our youth for failure because we, you know, assign them these loans that are basically unpayable is is really it is it is a disaster. And and like you said, it's going to but at some point. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's try to end on a lighter note. (laughs) But let's do some so many fill in the blanks. This is when I start a sentence. You finish it. First thing that comes to mind. Oh, my goodness. Okay. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say 100 million bucks. The first thing I would do is... The first thing I would do is um, 
Well, I know I would still work. So let's mark that settled. I would definitely still work. Um, I would probably start a charity. When I splurge, I like to spend my money on blank. Um, do all women answer this question the same? I would say um, really great <laughs> shoes and handbags. <laughs> really great shoes and handbags. When I donate, and this goes back to the first fill in the blank, I like to give to blank because... I like to give to local charities because I believe in supporting communities. So I'm on a board here at my uh, my local hospital. My husband's very involved in our school district. So we, we like to give money to local charities. Growing up, one thing I wish I had learned about money is... That money doesn't make somebody a better person. Did you think that's what money meant when you were a kid, that that was the portrayal? Yeah, I certainly thought that money gave people um, that they were better people and had a better life. Um, and I've certainly learned that that's not true. I don't think money makes people happy. And in fact, I think in many ways, money can make people a lot less happy. Um, so I think that's a really interesting lesson to learn. Now, um, I, I think if you're if if your life is generally good and you're healthy and your kids are healthy, money's a nice thing to have, but it certainly in and of itself doesn't make you happy. And um, yeah, I wish I had known that growing up. A previous guest on the show once told me, and I'll never forget, that money just makes you more of who you already are, your personality. So if you're a generous person, money perhaps makes you more generous. If you are a greedy person, makes you more greedy. It just amplifies who you already are as a human being. Yeah, I love that. I saw I saw an interview with Cher once and, you know, her like ending line was something like, you know, I've been rich, I've been poor, rich is better. I've been young, I've been old, young is better. You know, it's like, yes, that's true. It's like, you know, yeah, if you have the paper, choice between right? being rich or poor, of course, rich is better, but it doesn't, it doesn't make you happy. And I think that's so evident, you know, when you see people win the lottery and stuff, they always end up being, you know, or, you know, I mean, you look at Prince and you look at Michael Jackson, and you look at, you know, they're, it, it, money doesn't make you happy. So um, it's, I think it's a really important thing to know. And last but not least, I'm Jennifer Gefsky. I'm so money because... I'm so money because I am not afraid to fail and I started my own company. And the site is called Apray, apraygroup.com. Newly launched, already has over 10,000 subscribers and many more in its future. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me today. Your website is a tremendous resource for working moms and some awesome working dads who are reemerging into the workforce. I really appreciate it. My listeners appreciate it. Best of luck. Thanks for having me on the show. I really enjoyed it. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about APRE, visit APREGroup.com. Jennifer's also on Twitter at Jennifer Gefsky. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. If you'd like to send me a question for Friday's Ask Farnoosh episodes, just go to SoMoneyPodcast.com and click on Ask Farnoosh. And by the way, thanks to all of you who've been supporting this podcast on iTunes. I've, in the past couple of weeks, gotten many a reviews, which were went unsolicited. And I just want to thank everybody for taking the time and also figuring out how to navigate iTunes and leaving a review because I know it's not intuitive and um, I know for a fact that it must have taken at least five or ten minutes so I really appreciate the five-star reviews that have come in in the last month it's been really generous guys thank you wish me luck at the dentist hope your day is so money money